0: i Lynette and today I'll be trying my best to talk about something in the realm of makeup that I have held off on talking about for a very long time. I feel like some version of this following conversation that I have has been on the tip of my tongue ever since I started my YouTube channel, which was all the way back in September 2018, I think? So you could say this episode of the podcast has been in the making for the past two years, way before I started the podcast, even before I started posting the palette designs. So this is all the way back to when I first started my online makeup journey. I've had this conversation swirling around in the old noggin, evolving over time, and then developing into something completely different by the end of it. It's gone through like versions and revisions in my mind. I'm not sure if other people have that same experience, but so let me just get on to what I'm actually talking about, and I'm not going to be starting at the beginning. I'm going to be heading back to a few months ago. So, in the wake of the third installment of the Dramagen series, that lovely film franchise we all love, a new tag started going around among small beauty YouTube. It became a common thing for smaller influencers to make tag videos talking about how their beauty community isn't a toxic space, and. I agree with half of that idea. Don't get me wrong. I definitely think that compared to the world of James Charles and Tati Westbrook and Pink Palpatine, the smaller beauty community on YouTube is a much nicer and more accepting space. There is nowhere near that level of vitriol in this community, and I don't want to come across at any point in this stream as ever saying that there is. I also don't mean any offense to the creator of that tag or anyone who participated in it. That's not my problem. However, When I watch the majority of these tag videos, or when I watched them, at least a few of the amazing, incredible smaller channels mentioned are ones that make me sigh in frustration. These are channels and creators that I've stopped supporting for some pretty significant reasons. Reasons that contribute to toxicity and negativity, and at least I think aren't just these petty gripes. And watching other smaller channels gush over these people is honestly more infuriating than inspiring. And most of the time, I just don't click the video if I see said people in the thumbnail, mostly just to save my own sanity. And that usually works. So for the benefit of anonymity and just, you know, being a decent person, I'm not going to be naming any of these people. I'm not going to be naming any of the perpetrators of these acts. Please don't ask me who I'm talking about in this episode or what videos I'm referencing. This is not going to be that kind of conversation. And I do not do that on this podcast. Throwing creators under the bus is not something I'm going to be getting into the business of because I think that's cheap and I think it wouldn't be a worthwhile discussion to have and I also think it would be pretty freaking horrible of me to do. This is not a call out. This is not spilling tea. This is just me speaking about my experiences and I'm not going to use it as an opportunity to drag people down. And there is like a message and a resolution at the end of this. It's not just me complaining about people. And if you really want to get into like inference and deduction or whatever, that's your prerogative. You can do whatever you want with that. But out of respect for the whole community, I will not be doing that. (laughs) I also want to make it clear that this is not intended to be inflammatory or offensive. Again, I do not do that on this podcast because I don't like that. I don't like content that's just made to start drama. I think it's lazy and I think people do it for cheap clicks and that's not what I want to do. Especially not on this podcast. This is just me talking about my experience falling out of love with the small beauty community on YouTube. And I say these things honestly, but also respectfully. And part of me feels like making this episode and going into the subject is counterintuitive to that whole movement. And it might even come across as a bit insulting. And I don't intend it as such. But I feel like if I don't talk about this properly, I'm probably going to hold on to this frustration for a while. So, quick fact about me, I recently graduated from the Madeline Martha McKenzie Academy of keeping my gritties like pets, if that tells you anything. So <laughs> I don't want to have to sit around and keep going over my reasons for why I'm so frustrated, like I'm trying to convince myself that there's still valid reasons and I'm not just some bitter asshole on the internet. Also, I don't think that I'm the only person who feels this way. And when I started my YouTube channel and my online presence in the beauty world, I had a motto, and that motto is to be the representation you want to see in this space. And I think this perspective that I'm feeling is an underrepresented one. So I'm going into this process, the writing and the recording of this episode, with the knowledge that this episode is probably going to be a little bit controversial. But I'm also going into the episode with the feeling that I need to talk about this. Over the past year, I've had a rather tumultuous relationship with the small beauty community and I feel the need to explain why I feel that way. As I said earlier, this whole conversation has been in my head for a while now, but I've never really felt ready to properly talk about it. I didn't want to just half ass it and then just fire out a bunch of opinions with no real grounding, and I didn't want to just make some clickbaity piece of content and look like I was craving drama. This is something that's personal to me, and I want to explain it as such. Now, originally I was going to make a video of this, But I feel like the format of this podcast really lends itself well to the topic and allows me to have these kinds of long-form conversations. Like any of these episodes that I've been posting, this is going to be a deep dive into the topic, and particularly a deep dive into my feelings, which I have a lot of. So I'd suggest getting comfortable. We've got a story to tell. I'm going to start where I think this change really started. Many of you will be aware of a popular video format that was popular and is still relatively commonplace nowadays, which is the Anti-Haul. I used to do these videos on my channel, and a while back I decided to stop doing them. And, you know, back when the channel was a thing I even did, <laughs> pay no attention to the YouTube channel behind the curtain. And I can't remember exactly what I said as my reason for doing so, or whether I even explained my reasons for doing so. but. Within this episode, I'm going to be including a greater explanation of that. You will find that out today. I want to talk about my issue with this format, not how it was at the start, but what it became later on, and why I decided to stop doing it. This will seek nicely into my greater problem around a certain brand of makeup anti-consumerism and why I think it's ultimately become this hollow concept. So now we're going to start at the beginning and talk about the origin of the anti haul the basic essence of this video was what I'm not going to buy, and why, and this format was originated by two YouTubers, I believe, Amber's Beauty Chair and Kimberly Clark. I felt like these original anti hauls were really effective in changing the conversations within the beauty community, and really questioning the consumerism that was going on, and I think it still is. They had good criticisms and posed interesting points, and that was incredibly useful for a lot of people. And what do you know, I happen to be one of those people. Then the format got popular, and more people started doing them, bigger channels started doing them, to mixed results. Fast forward to today, and yeah, as far as I'm concerned, it's not good. Nowadays, I feel like the scope of conversation within an anti hall has dwindled into this cycle of booing the newest slew of releases without any real substance. What was once an interesting format to critique makeup companies and their practices in releasing products has turned into an easy way to get clicks from being sassy, and that was something I was actively participating in. I was getting wind of the problems with these videos, but I was trying to justify still doing them because they were some of my most successful videos. I made little guidelines of what not to do, tried to skew my language in certain ways, but ultimately I was just tired of doing it. I didn't want to keep punching the same low-hanging fruit and throwing out some hollow remark about consumerism. It felt a lot less like me pitching interesting ideas and instead just echoing the thoughts of the rest of the small beauty community. And around this time, my relationship with the small beauty community, and particularly certain channels, was changing quite a bit. I'd become more aware of things that were bugging me, and I wanted to move away from that world which I felt was this pool of the same thoughts and comments being echoed and recycled amongst channels. I couldn't be caught up in that cycle. Something I tried out was a new series called The Fix, where I pointed out specific solutions for fixing new releases. And I liked that series. I I still do. But it just happens that nowadays I'm a lot less interested in critiquing new releases, because I don't really care much for it anymore. If I do want to critique a new release or I have something noteworthy to say, I'll probably just do it on my Instagram story. And this is the part where we get into the bigger problems within Anti-Halls. But before I go on to the main problems I have with Anti-Halls, time for a little positivity junction. <laughs> I want to quickly mention that there are still some great Anti-Halls out there. And the ones I've been loving specifically are Anti-Hauling Products I Want, which is a great adaptation that allows channels to break down their own attachments to new releases and provide genuine commentary on why they don't need every release, even if it does appeal to them. And then I've listed a couple of channels that I think do it really well. And I've listed Alex the Alchemist and Raw Paint, who both did really great videos on this subject. And they're just two great channels overall, in my opinion. You should totally watch them if you want to. However, there are problems with a lot of anti-holes, and I will be talking about them. Now we're going to get into a bit of an autopsy to figure out what exactly it was that killed the anti-hole. Ready to dig into this carcass, (laughs) y'all? Okay, so I'll start with the big issue. Lazy and predictable critiques. I've joked before that calling the newest brown neutral palette boring doesn't make you interesting, but in all seriousness I could click on one of these videos and guarantee that this would happen probably more than once, probably more than twice as well. Some people can get away with this because they're funny and they can make a good joke out of it, but this isn't everyone. Sometimes you go through a video and it's just the same cycle of this is boring, who asked for this, you already have this in your collection, and it's like, is that it? Is that what I click your 40 minute video to see? Comments like these are always so hollow and directed towards easy targets. There's nothing constructive, there's nothing novel, it's just constant snarkiness marketed as insightful critique. I can't help but compare certain channels who do this to those people who hate Marvel movies because they're not real cinema. Like, like, yeah, there's definitely a market out there for interesting and unique color schemes that deserve more praise. I know, I'm buying the damn things most of the time. (laughs) But often it's so easy to use this as an excuse to drag down more popular releases. And this doesn't just apply to neutral palettes either, even though I bring that up as the main example. Rainbow palettes have now also been put into the firing line, (laughs) particularly from brands that are just entering the colourful market. We get it, guys. The rainbow is a thing that's already been curated, and you want the world to know that you're so beneath it. I mean, let's face the facts. if your eyeshadow palette hasn't been hand-curated with the most unique, not-basic shades, you basically may as well give up on any real artist liking your product. I understand people wanting something more interesting and unique with their makeup, but often it just takes a sharp right turn into snobbery, followed by them spouting one of Kimberly Clark's catchphrases and acting like they've just reinvented the wheel. I want to get into some of these lazy criticisms that are rife with an anti-halls, because it's just an itch I need to scratch. It's like, nobody asked for this, but just because you, a completely unique individual, didn't ask for this. That reflects the whole scope of a makeup market beyond your community. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's a figure of speech, but it's a lousy figure of speech. The beauty community is a very small fraction of global makeup users, and the small or indie-focused parts are even smaller. Larger brands like Too Faced, Tarte, Bare Minerals, bringing out a neutral palette is understandable. Because it fits their market of predominantly women just living their lives, not like a lot of smaller indie brands that are targeted towards makeup enthusiasts. They're deliberately not addressing the context of it. And this lack of awareness is incredibly frustrating. Seeing a smaller channel yelling at Too Faced for making another neutral palette there's no real purpose, because of course they did. That's the market they're aiming for, because it's huge. Of course you weren't going to buy that palette, because it wasn't made for a hyper-colourful makeup enthusiast. Of course you didn't ask for this. And don't say that you're doing it to help battle consumerism, because that's a pile of shit, I'm just going to say that. Nobody is going to decide against buying an eyeshadow palette because you said it was a boring, neutral waste of time and energy. You're doing it so you can be sassy for clicks. Be honest. And chances are, if you're watching colorful Makeup YouTuber, you might have already thought the exact same points upon seeing these products. And you're just having them repeated to you by someone who thinks they're more qualified to say so. But if a viewer doesn't agree with it, well there's your next problem. Now maybe I'm just an sensitive makeup enthusiast who can't brush off the opinions of bigger channels, but since these opinions are so commonplace and the community spreads these ideas very frequently, it's easy for it to dominate the conversation and it's easy for it to have a negative effect on people. Especially if it's from a larger, indie-focused channel you might look up to. It creates this culture of shame where we have to justify why we like certain things that are seen as boring. Some of us like our boring, neutral trash. Let us have our trash. You see how I just phrased that, being all self-deprecating about liking a neutral palette? That's the issue! Liking these releases has been made to a guilty pleasure of sorts, instead of something we shamelessly enjoy using. For a community with no rules and freedom to enjoy, some people only want you to enjoy the stuff they do. It takes an element of fun out of makeup and brings in this makeup elitism. I'm not like these other makeup wearers. I don't buy boring neutrals because I'm more interesting than that. I'm not boring. You don't want to be boring, right? You don't want to be basic. That palette there, that's basic. And like, believe it or not, quite a lot of people might think that that palette is cute and they're well within their right to. And yes, channels are also well within their right to feel whatever they way they feel about a product too. But whether a channel means it or not, that critique can extend to the person using it. And that might make some viewers feel bad for liking a rather inoffensive product. It creates this us versus them against the basic Beckys who only wear brown top eyeshadows because they're boring. And it's like, maybe it's just because they know what works for them. Maybe they can't work a 9-to-5 job wearing a rainbow cook crease. Oh wait, I forgot, we don't do rainbows anymore. Maybe they solved that palette and they thought it was cute, and now you're acting like they're a shit for brands for liking it, with your who asked for this is and whatnot. And yes, there are completely valid critiques for larger brands, particularly with inclusivity and catering to deeper skin tones. But that's not the headline for many of these channels, as most of them are white or white-passing. I don't think those critiques are relevant to this episode, because they aren't the problem. The problem is that these critiques aren't the ones these channels really care about very much. The whole Us versus Them idea is something I really don't like, because I just think you should be able to enjoy the makeup that you like. Whether that's neutral, colourful, or anywhere in between, or outside of that. It's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be this competition for who's the most unique. And a lot of the critiques that I've been talking about are found in a lot of anti halls. And because I mentioned earlier, these criticisms echo across different channels and garner a false legitimacy because certain channels are so revered and held on high pedestals. I talked about the issue of having such a tightly tied together community in brief earlier on, but I will elaborate on that even more at the end and why that's been a concern for me. However, we're not done with anti halls just yet. Or should I say, The evolution of the anti-haul. This problem evolves and escalates when we move away from anti-hauls and go into Will I Buy It videos. The Will I Buy It, or new makeup releases video, does a similar thing to the anti-haul by critiquing new makeup releases, while also pointing out other releases that they may like or even want to buy. Again, I want to leave a disclaimer that this doesn't apply to every channel that makes Will I Buy It videos. There are many great channels that make these videos, but there is a reason why I'm including this section because it forms a vital reason to why I've stopped supporting certain channels. The inclusion of positively received products in these videos draws greater attention to the issue around makeup anti consumerism as a concept. A channel can poke fun at a new neutral palette, then turn around and promote a product they like from a brand they're affiliated with. And what was once a way of supposedly combating consumerism becomes a way for smaller channels to plug their codes and hype up brands they have connections with. I know smaller influencers need to get what they can, but this ultimately undermines any message of smarter shopping or anti-consumerism. Even if it's like, I love the look of this palette, and if you want to get it, you can use my code, but you don't have to, so don't feel obligated to, but here's my code if you want to. You know, like they're being subtle with it. This isn't anti-consumerism it's shifting consumerism in their favour. Channels are using this format of supposedly combating consumerism and using it to boost their own interests. And I realise, because I think you might be thinking this, (laughs) I realise that not every channel that does an anti-haul or will I buy it is necessarily anti-consumerist or brands themselves as such. However, the origins of the format are so intrinsically linked to that concept, and it's unsettling to see it used to plug people's affiliate codes, one of the exact kinds of things that it was being pointed out as a big problem in the larger beauty community. Speaking of the larger beauty community, (laughs) there is another point I want to raise. (laughs) Something that really gets my goat about certain smaller channels is that many of them will still gladly participate in saying that bigger channels are untrustworthy and shills, despite the fact that they themselves are perpetuating the same untrustworthiness and shilling. It is so easy for micro-influencers to punch up against the top influencers while refusing to acknowledge the problem that they both share. Dodgy affiliations like Morphe are consistently criticised, while the exact same practice happens with smaller brands and micro-influencers. Often people will be forgiving of smaller channels, especially ones that support indie brands, because it's human nature to want to root for the little guy. But I'm constantly skeptical about channels trying to sell me something, and I've learned that smaller channels aren't just immune from this. Some of them do take advantage of viewers' close parasocial relationships with these smaller channels in order to create this earnestness around the process despite the fact that it's, it's essentially the exact same model they criticized Jacqueline Hill for doing. There's a clear hypocrisy, and even worse, there's a sense of superiority that comes from many of these micro-influencers. We're not like those big influencers, we would never shill substandard private label palettes, we're different and we like colour. Also, here's my code if you want to buy some substandard private label palettes. <laughs> it is the exact same cycle! but the power dynamic has shifted to vilify bigger influencers for doing the same thing on a larger, more publicized scale. There's a similar issue when you get PR involved, and though it's sort of a separate issue, it's also sort of not. Smaller channels can absolutely be biased if they're getting products in PR, and some of them will acknowledge that. That is awesome. If you do that, I have a respect for you. <laughs> but I haven't seen much of it, and often you run into the same problem of channels using their status as a small channel to seem more trustworthy than the big ones, despite partaking in the same promotional tactics that they do. For one last note, this is going to be a petty one, so I apologise. I really have to talk about some of the merch I've been seeing. Now, YouTuber merch isn't a bad thing. Hell, I've even bought some in my time, but it's incredibly ironic and kind of Bleak to see anti-consumerist models printed on T-shirts, you know, anti-consumerist merchandise. I- I'm going to repeat that: anti-consumerist merchandise. <laughs> that sentence is practically an oxymoron. <laughs> Using a historically anti-consumerist video format to plug merchandise and promote your Spreadshirt shop. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but never mind neutral palettes. Who the heck asked for that? I guarantee this anti-consumerist merch that has had a lot less effort and research put into it than the neutral palette these people bash constantly. But I don't know how either of those things work, so who am I to judge? Alright, there's the will-I-buy-it in a nutshell. Taking an already flawed format and using it to plug their own shit, or the shit that they're affiliated with, and act like it's still anti-consumerist because they told you not to buy that thing you weren't gonna buy anyway. Now we're going to park this train in a much broader station. (laughs) For the next section of the video, I'm going to be turning away from the anti-haul and the Will I Buy It formats to discuss the issues that really turned me off anti-consumerism in makeup and in the small beauty community on YouTube, and is really going to steer the course into a new direction. I'm going to put the next part of this episode under the title of Toxic Positivity, so let me explain what I'm talking about. Refinery29 defines toxic positivity as the concept that focusing on so-called positive emotions and rejecting anything that may trigger negative emotions is the right way to live life. Positivity can be utilised in different ways by channels, such as deleting negative comments and focusing on purchases that spark joy. This is fine, this is reasonable behaviour, and I can completely understand it. However, this can turn into toxic positivity when a micro influencer overzealously deletes any merely critical comment, yes, that seriously happens, and actively goes against the smarter shopping that they preach in the name of shiny pretty things. In my opinion, that is not fine. That is concerning. I'm first going to address the subject of the shiny pretty things, let's get that one out of the way. The amount of verbal gymnastics used to justify the volume of ridiculous purchases taken under some beauty budgets is frankly ridiculous. I've seen the same thing with low buys that are so obviously just jumping on a trend and not really committing to the goals that they set. At times it feels like channels that preach smarter shopping don't really seem to be following their own lessons. It's a case of do as I say, not as I do, and I don't like it. And the the justification for this is wanting quality things, luxury things, nicer things. Which doesn't really alleviate the problem. Being anti-consumerist isn't about buying more things, buying more superior things to replace the lesser things that don't spark joy. It's more about, you know, buying less, thinking about your buying habits, recognizing problems, finding ways to improve your spending. But no, your love language is buying 15 different blushes at once, go ahead. If that's the song in your heart, then go live your truth. But people might think that you're being hypocritical, and they might just tell you that. Which brings me neatly onto... the comments. Eliminating room for critique is a serious problem, and as much as you can't please everyone, and you absolutely shouldn't change yourself to please others, your fans can offer genuine critiques that come from a place of questioning everything something that micro-influencers will gladly encourage when it comes to big brands and influencers. You can't preach questioning the bigwigs while blocking out any questioning of your own ethics, it's just vastly hypocritical. Things like encouraging expensive subscriber gifts, selling PR, and the assortment of issues that I've been rambling on in terms of anti and will I buy it, these are things that should be critiqued if they're relevant. And if micro-influencers aren't willing to face up to these genuine issues, what does that say about them? But, you know, not all channels delete constructive criticisms. That's a rather unfair generalisation, actually. Some channels just get passive-aggressive instead. Now, if you want to bash someone who sent you a genuine hate comment, then go ahead. Have fun with that. (laughs) I'm completely fine with that. Enjoy yourself. Get creative if you want to. But I'm not referring to hate comments in this. I'm referring to subscribers who have valid concerns. Now, might be hard to believe, but these are people who actually want to engage with your content in a positive way. And if you can't take that, I I don't know what to say. I didn't come into this community expecting universal praise, and I was very aware that I might receive both constructive criticism and hate comments. And I had different ways to approach both of these, because they are both different things. Conflating hate comments and genuine critique is a massive issue for both the channel and its fans. It makes channels seem like they only ever want to be praised, and they never want to be held accountable for the things they do. Which, again, they'll gladly demand larger channels do. And it makes fans feel like they can't help a channel improve, because it seems that the channel doesn't want to improve. They don't want to listen, they don't want to improve and grow and develop. All of these reasons have contributed to me unsubscribing and withdrawing my support from different channels, but this doesn't answer the main question of the video, does it? You probably want to know why I stopped loving small beauty YouTube. So let's find out the answer. The final problem, and the one that's ultimately dealt the fatal blow, is something that, when you say it, sounds pretty awesome. The way that certain channels in the small beauty community are so close. It's something that's great on paper, because if, if you like everyone, you can enjoy all of their content and all of their interactions and collabs and whatnot and features on things. And for a while, that's exactly what I did. It was great. I loved watching all these different people and being so happy for their friendship and how awesome and unproblematic they were. And yeah, that didn't last forever. I'll say that much. Once I started finding flaws in the channels that I used to love, these networks became less enjoyable and more suffocating. It became a lot harder for me to engage with particular channels, and by extension, the greater small beauty community, because there were quite a few people that I frankly did not like anymore. That's not to say there's this death by association rule, because that's kind of ridiculous. But because there's such a closeness and such a tight bond between channels, almost like a clique, there's no real space for discussion or critique. If you're in the community, there's kind of this pressure to like everyone. And especially with the small beauty community, you don't want to be a hater, right? You don't want to spoil the fun. But truth be told, I've felt uncomfortable at times in the community because I get recommendations of people to watch and videos to reference, and I don't know how to kindly say I'm sorry I don't enjoy this person without feeling like shit about it. I know, I know, it's a big first world problem. (laughs) But it's something I'm repeatedly confronted with, and I'm never quite sure how to deal with it. Because the idea of someone liking everyone in the community That's not how human beings work. Nobody is gonna like everybody, and often they'll have valid reasoning for why they're put off by certain people. One can criticize while still being civil, and I definitely think that anyone who sends a hate comment is probably a bit of a wanker, but I don't send hate comments, I don't even hate watch channels, I don't have the energy for it. The thought of disrupting the mental well-being of a channel because of my opinions of them It's pretty startling, and I'll never, ever wish harm against any of them. It's just that being in the small beauty community has kind of given me these restrictions and made me question whether I can really speak my mind about this stuff. It's as if I'm in this vacuum of unquestioned positivity, and when I was first encountering this, it became very frustrating for me as I was seeing clear issues with these channels, their actions, their behaviour, the way they were handling certain issues... And it became impossible for me to enjoy certain channels without being reminded of the channels I didn't like anymore. It started feeling less like a community and more like a circle jerk, which I hate even saying. So, I've talked about a lot of different problems in this episode, but I haven't yet talked about a solution to all of this, or any kind of solution to any of these individual problems. And honestly... I don't think any of these problems are going to go away anytime soon. If if you wanted an optimistic account of things, this probably isn't the podcast for you. But I don't just want to make this episode a complaint fest, and I'm sure that's not what you came here for either. In fact, I do think that if people looked at the small beauty community through a different lens, then perhaps things could improve now. Community positivity is great, especially in the light of a scandal that has the potential to taint the whole genre of beauty YouTube. But I felt like things have swung the other way, to a point where you can't not like somebody on our side of beauty YouTube. There's this pressure that all of these people are such great content creators that are the magical alternative to the evil bigger channels, and we don't have any problems over here, right? Everyone's an indie queen or a budget queen or an amazing small channel that you should all support. When really, that's a very, very general take and it doesn't really address the nuances of the situation. I've been seeing a lot more than that take. I've been seeing some great people who are definitely worth supporting and some people that I've been continuing to support over the past few months and probably throughout the year because I think they're great people. But I've also been seeing people who sell their PR and snap at fans for trying to reason with them. I've seen people who will brush off cultural appropriation like it's nothing. I've seen people make excuses for subpar products and releases because they're affiliated with those brands. And just generally, I've seen condescending and snobby behavior. I've even seen small creators use the r slur in videos before and being autistic myself. I can't just sit there and act like that's fine. I can't just ignore all the bad because, oh, look at them, they're such a small creator. Oh, look at the subscriber count, such a small channel, so cute. Like, no, smaller channels should not be beyond question and critique. Now, do not get me wrong. The solution is not fighting it with fire, but it also isn't ignoring it and turning an ignorant I do it all. We should be able to acknowledge these things, hold people accountable, Give them a chance to improve. This isn't a cancel everyone manifesto. This is a keep the same energy manifesto. And I'm just gonna insert this paragraph that I posted on Discord a few days ago that really explains my feelings. I think it's fine for people to watch who they wanna watch as we all have our own reasons for doing that. Though I also think it's healthier to be able to address and process certain criticisms rather than just sweeping them under the rug and acting like those things never happened. That doesn't mean dropping them at the first sign of a scandal, it means holding them accountable if they do something wrong. Often supporting a creator means being able to recognize issues. Same thing with musicians and authors and whatnot. We all have favorite things that might have certain issues surrounding them, and it is okay to continue to appreciate a piece of work, but it's also important to acknowledge that at times the creators can be uh, problematic. As long as you don't just ignore all that stuff, it's fine to still enjoy the creators. So, in summary, I'm not going to tell you that you need to stop supporting this small creator or that small creator in the name of some minor issues, but I'd hope that you don't just ignore the issues, I'd hope you acknowledge them and process them and make a decision based on that, and whether you continue to support them or not, that's fine. That's the kind of community atmosphere I'd like to see. One where there is that positivity and willingness to support creators, but also the willingness to address problems and certain behaviours and not just sweep all the bad stuff under the rug like it isn't a thing. So that's where I am now. I have I have unsubscribed from quite a few channels that I don't like anymore, and I have to say I still am finding it harder to engage with other channels that stand these people. This isn't a feeling that I enjoy. In fact, I kind of feel like my own issues with particular people have acted as a barrier to a community with a lot of promise. But ultimately, there's no real point in forcing happiness or enthusiasm for channels you just don't want to support. So I feel like staying in my own corner has been the best thing for me. There are people I still talk to and still enjoy, communities I still really enjoy engaging in. I've met a lot of awesome people on Instagram and on Discord and I am continuing to engage with those platforms because I really enjoy them. So I think I'll just stick with them. But I'm not going to be making any content stamming your indie queens and your budget queens and whoever. Because the fact is, the small beauty community on YouTube that I used to love, I just don't love it anymore. So now that I've been excommunicated from the beauty community, <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts. If you happen to feel a similar way to how I do, I'm really hoping that we can start a conversation about it. But if you think I'm completely wrong about this, that's totally fair as well. And I actually wouldn't mind talking to you about it. I'm not going to just block you or delete your comments because you disagree with me, you know, like some people would, because I can accept that people will have different opinions and constructive criticism can be really helpful and beneficial. It helps creators to grow and acknowledge their issues and improve. And it helps other users engage with creators more successfully. It's helped me to improve in the past, and I want that to continue, whether that's on my Instagram or on the podcast. As long as it doesn't go into full-on hate comments, you can say whatever you think about this episode. That is my promise. So, make sure you subscribe to my podcast if you want to hear more rambling every week. You can leave a review depending on your platform, and if not, feel free to share this podcast to everyone you know. (laughs) hopefully I will find one other person that feels a similar way, and I will be very happy about that. I'm setting my expectations low, so I don't get disappointed. If you'd rather just talk to me about it, you can find me on Instagram, on Twitter, and on YouTube, which are all linked in the description of this episode. End every episode, because even I have to plug things sometimes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I, I do hope that you'll come back soon. I hope I haven't scared everyone off. And remember, life is hard, but all you can do is try your best. See you next time. Hopefully.